Welcome to the global math department. We're setting up for the meeting. I just restarted the I just started the recording. If you guys want to go ahead and introduce yourself into the chat, tell us where you're at, what you teach. That would be awesome. I'm gonna wait just another minute, minute and a half, and we will officially start. But please introduce yourself. All right, welcome to the Global Math Department. My name is Jill Bemis and I'll be your host tonight. Tonight we're going to hear from Dr. Bayranavan and he's going to be speaking about partnering with parents in elementary school math. Would everyone please introduce themselves in the chat window telling us what you teach, where you teach and what your Twitter handle is if you have one. Awesome, we have an Arkansas Razorback, second grade. That's fun. <laughs> Before I introduce our speaker, let me explain how these meetings work. These meetings are recorded and are available within 24 hours after the meeting ends. To view the recording, you can use the same URL that you used to get here tonight. The global math community prides itself on being friendly and supportive. The chat room is available for topical and general conversation throughout the meeting. I'll be monitoring for questions as well as our presenter. So don't worry if your question isn't answered immediately. We will make sure that it is covered. Um, again, if you're just joining us, please introduce yourself. Tell us where you're from, what grades you're teaching. And I am going to turn it over to Dr. Bayranavan. And let's hear about partnering with parents in elementary school math. Thank you so much for that, uh, Jill, and welcome everyone. Thank you so much uh, for joining me this evening. Um, as you can probably guess from the name that you see um, on my on my camera, as well as in the chat, I am not Hillary. My name is Matthew Bayranavan. Hillary was going to be the lead this evening and I was going to support her, but unfortunately she has uh, come down with COVID and is still not feeling well. And she really tried to come through to, to join this evening, but she really couldn't do it, especially being um, you know, 35 weeks pregnant. So we are gonna think of her, wish her the best, um, and know that she has put in a lot of time and effort both coming up with these ideas as well as this presentation. And I'm gonna be sharing a lot as the uh, co-author of the book that's coming out soon called Partnering with Parents in Elementary School Math. So what I want to do is begin by just giving you a little bit of background about who I am and the things that I have done and what some of my core beliefs are. 
So first of all, I work in Massachusetts and my primary role is working as a mathematics department coordinator for a local public school district. I originally was a middle school math teacher and also I worked as a elementary math coach. And so the idea here is that I wanted to be able to change the way math is taught, which is why I went from being a teacher to being the administrator, if you will, and try to make a positive impact. In addition, I try to teach new teachers how to teach math at the university level. And my philosophy is very much rooted in three core ideas. One, teach for conceptual understanding. I want my students to be able to understand the mathematics, not just memorize things. Yes, there is a time and a place for procedures and procedural knowledge, no doubt about that. But yet, I really want them to be able to understand the math. Why is the formula for area of a circle pi times radius squared? Hmm, well, the understanding behind that is what I care about. Oh, and it's great to see Alice Aaron and Molly, three of my friends in the chat tonight. Thank you so much for joining uh, me here this evening. So I said the first thing that I firmly believe in is conceptual understanding. The second thing that I very much focus on is the idea of joyful mathematics. Within the STEM field, the science, the technology, and the engineering, students authentically love learning about those subjects. And then you have us the ugly stepsister of mathematics, where people generally don't like learning it, don't like being in the class, and they refer to it by things as, I hate math, I can't do math. And my second professional mission is to change that culture about how everyone, all of society, views mathematics. And finally, I very much believe in the ideas of growth mindset. Um, we all know about the growth mindset and the things that have come about by, by recently with, with Joe Bowler. And I very much want to change the mindset of not only the students, but more importantly, the parents. And that's how I became really fascinated with the idea of the role of parents in education in particular, mathematics education. So Hillary and I got together a few years back and we published a book for parents about things that they could do to support their children in mathematics called Adding Parents to the Equation. And, you know, truth be told, it's a pretty good book. Hillary did the majority of the work because she's a phenomenal writer. And I really felt like we came up with something great. And so we were able to partner with the great Corwin Press and create another book that's based on the four teachers at the K to six or even K to eight level as ideas, suggestions, and the theories behind supporting our most trusted partners in parents. Because I know today more than any other time, parents want to be able to help. Parents want to be able to support. They want to help their children, but the issue is they don't know how. So tonight on this webinar together, what I'm going to do is share with you all the great information that Hillary and I have uncovered over two years of our writing and research together about the things that we could do that you can start doing tomorrow, in fact, to be helping parents 
be able to become a partner, to be on your team, to support children both in normal times and in COVID times. So thank you for coming. I see so many people are on the chat and I love seeing the chat. Thank you for that. Let's start, start by taking a quick look at what we are doing here. So I start with this. Right now, we are in unprecedented times. We are burdened with COVID-19 and the effects of remote hybrid learning. And in some cases, very little learning. We have the human injustice and there's so many other things that are on our plate. And yet we keep hearing about this idea about the new math. Well, what is this new math that people think about? The issue here is that it's not a new math. And I don't have to tell you that, my math friends. But for some reason, parents have this impression that math that we do today is so much different than the way that they did it. And we are purposefully trying to make it more difficult for our kids to learn, where that, of course, is not the case. We need them, our parents, our partners, to be able to understand what and how we are doing. So over the course of about nine months, what Hillary and I did was we interviewed a variety of parents from a variety of different states, social economic classes. We wanted to find out what exactly they felt about math at the elementary level. And we were able to determine there were four big themes that came out. Parents feel intimidated, frustrated, worried, and confused. Now, the first thing we have to do is we have to acknowledge these feelings as being real. For right or for wrong, this is the honesty that they shared with us about how they feel about helping their children with math and looking at the math themselves. These four things, they don't believe they can be helpful because they're intimidated. They feel like they're not intelligent because they're frustrated. They feel that they're going to fail their children, and they're worried about that because of their own genes related to math. And they feel like they don't see the math the way they learned it, so they feel like it's a completely different language and are confused. So let me share with you some different perspectives. This is what you hear parents say. And these things that I'm going to share with you, we have all heard this numerous times. They say, I'm intimidated because I can't help my own kid. But what they're actually saying to us, what they're actually saying is that they want to be helpful. They want to be supportive. They just don't know how. Another thing parents will constantly say is, I'm frustrated because I feel like my intelligence is under attack. What they're really saying to us is, I want to feel intelligent, especially in front of my child. I don't want to be able to say sixth grade math, I can't do that, or that's not the way that I did it. They're saying things that's actually different from what they mean. Here's another example. I'm worried that my child will fail at math because of me. Well, what they're really saying is that they want to feel confident that their child is going to succeed no matter what, regardless if they are a, quote, math person or not a math person, which we know there's no such thing as that. Everybody can be a math person, but their perception of that is different and wrong. 
So again, we need to work with them. Let's do one more example. I'm confused because I didn't learn math this way. And there are words, tools, and strategies that I just don't know. Well, what they're really saying is, help me be able to talk to my child. Help me be able to support my child with all of these new techniques, strategies, tools, etc. And for the most part, we as a mathematics teaching community are not doing all that we can do to support our parents, to get them to not only be able to understand how and why we're doing something, but to actually be helpful and supportive in our particular mission. And it is for us to be able to do that. We want our parents to feel helpful, intelligent, confident, and familiar. We want them to be able to understand these things so that they can be supportive of us and the way we teach math and to be able to support their children. So those are the four core wants, and I'm going to be coming back to these four key things over the course of, of our time together here at this workshop. So what can we do? How can we find a way so parents can have these wants fulfilled? Well, there's a lot of things that we can do. So what we're going to do is we're going to explore the ways in which we can help our parents feel helpful, intelligent, confident, and familiar with the language in which we have. So what we're going to begin by doing is examining our core beliefs as to exactly the lens in which we look at. So there's two different philosophies of this here. Uh, the first philosophy of an asset-based lens is that parents play a pivotal role in our child's development, that they are the most important person involved in their child's learning and education. And we as educators, we recognize that all parents have strengths as well as some weaknesses, but for the most part, we try to bring out the strengths of our families and our parents and our caregivers so that they can be supportive and help the children learn. Well, then there's the other end of the spectrum that sometimes people fall into, deficit-based. This is where parents are a hindrance to us, to their children. Where not only are they not supportive, but some of the things that they do actually regresses. And many educators see parents as a weakness, their lack of knowledge, their lack of participation in their child's education. We think of it as, oh, and now we have to deal with the parent. Well, let's get them on our side. So, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about our four uh, uh, core beliefs that we believe in. And this was originally developed by uh, Henderson, Mapp, Johnson, and Davies here. And the idea is this. We have to presume positive intentions. We have to presume that every parent, every caregiver has these four core beliefs. They want the best for their children. They have the ability to support their children. Families and schools are equal partners. And four, the responsibility is a collaborative one that has to do with not only the teachers and parents, but also the school leaders. 
And they believe that this partnership is the key. And this is very much research-based and something that we believe in as well. So we have to assume or presume these positive intentions that parents want these things for their children. Now, is this always the case? Absolutely not. But if we go in with the attitude that, oh, the parent is going to be detracting from the child's education, then we are not going in with a growth mindset or a positive mindset because we're presuming, presuming, presuming false intentions. So we have to have those core beliefs. So what I think that every educator needs to think about is what they believe their core beliefs are in related to parents and education. So what role do you believe parents should play in your child in the child's math education? And then how does this definition of their role assume? Does it assume certain things? How are you going to communicate about how valuable parents are? And communication is a huge thing. And finally, what can parents do to support their child's math learning? Because you know what? They want to, but many times they're not ever told or shared what things they can be doing at home. Just like we have to train students on how to study for a test or how to learn mathematics, we also have to train our parents. That's right. We have to train our parents to be supportive because they want to, but they just don't know how. Okay, so how can we do that? Let's just start with the three most important things. These are the three things that every parent needs to know about math. And this comes directly from our upcoming book, Partnering with Parents in Elementary School Math. Number one, math instruction evolves just like everything else. You can look at almost every single thing in the world and it evolves over time. The way we develop new drugs and medication, the features on an automobile, Really nothing has been stagnant over the last 30 years. But yet for some reason, people assume or want the way that we teach math to be the same way they learned it 20, 30, or 40 years ago. Now, why is that? Because that's how they understood it. And they feel like if that's how they learned it, that's how I want my children to learn it. But yet the way we learned math 20, 30, 40 years ago, I got to be honest, it really wasn't that good. The teacher that I had in high school for two different years, he taught it one way. He said, here's the way you do it. Now I want you to practice 30 times in class doing it this exact same method. And then you know what your homework is going to be? Do it again another 30 times. I'm not so sure at the high school level I truly understood the math that I was taking. So it has evolved. That's why we focus now more on conceptual understanding. So math, like everything, has to evolve. The second thing is that mathematics is not a gene. Back to that idea that you're either a math person or you're not a math person. Absolutely not. As Joe Bowler has said, every person, with the exception of those with very severe disabilities, has the ability to learn math at the highest of levels. And we need to make sure that the ideas of growth mindset are built upon not just our students, but on our parents as well. So that all of them, parents and students, 
believe that they can do math and they can succeed at math. And finally, what we're trying to do is not prepare our, let's say, elementary kids to enter the workforce today. Instead, what we're really trying to do is prepare them for the future. And for the most part, we don't even know what's going to happen in the future. Five, 10, 15 years from now, we don't even necessarily know what the technology will be. But here's what we do know. There have been a lot of changes within education, and there's been a lot of changes within the job market. The things that we value within the mathematics community has to do with reasoning and problem solving, in addition to the ideas of conceptual understanding. So we try to focus very much on reasoning and problem solving, because those sort of skills are something that is going to carry them through no matter what the world looks like in 5, 10, or 15 years. So we need to have a commitment from all stakeholders, and it starts with administration. And many times, I would say close to 95% of the time, the administrators, principals, building leaders, were never math teachers. They were generally something else. And many administrators will freely admit to you that they don't even know how to do the math or they don't like math themselves. Hmm. That's a little bit of a problem. Well, there are some ideas that we stress should be a must for administrators. One is the idea of communication. Okay. We have to make a commitment to have good communication as a school regarding the mathematics instruction, regarding the philosophy of how we do mathematics. And we need to make sure that there is good communication with the teachers. And that's kind of what the role of an administrator should be. And we have to make sure that all of our communication is done in a variety of ways, not only just emails or not only just papers coming home and also translated. We need to make sure that we're meeting all the needs of our parents, just like we work on meeting the needs of all of our kids based on any sort of disability or language or whatever the case might be. We need to do the same thing for our parents. And finally, as an administrator, we should be trying to have one event a year led by the administrators that focuses on the changes in math or what this new math is or why we teach math in the way that we teach it today so that they can understand. Administrators play a big role in this. Then we have the teachers or instructional leaders or math coaches and the things that we need them to be able to do within the classroom as well as with the parents is to promote the idea of a growth mindset and redirect the negative or fixed mindset talk. One thing that I did was very interesting is I did an observation of a teacher during a parent-teacher night. And she, this is pre-COVID, and she had, I think it was about 12 or 13 parents come in to meet with her to talk about how their child is doing and so forth. And nearly every one of them, all but one or two, had negative thoughts, negative feelings about math. And then the child hears about those negative feelings. Now, if I'm a seven-year-old and my role model is my mother, and my mother's saying things like, oh, I can't do math. How am I, little Matthew, supposed to feel? Because my role model says she doesn't like math or, or my brother or father, someone who I look up to, says I can't do sixth grade math. Well, how am I ever going to eliminate that talk 
of fixed mindset and focus on growth mindset. Next, send a letter at the beginning of the year, but the letter does not necessarily have to be just the normal welcome letter. Talk about the philosophy of math. Talk about things that they can be doing at home to support the learning. Talk about what types of things they should be doing because, again, parents want to help. And a great thing that we have in this book is this attitudinal uh, survey to find out what parents' perceptions are about the learning of mathematics. And it's very interesting that which parents might need more help and support than others. It takes a little bit more time to do in the beginning of the year, no doubt about it. But the dividends are huge. And, and finally, whenever you have a new chapter, new topic, new whatever, send them the information so they know what the topics are, how the teaching is going to be, and what exactly they can do. Sometimes textbooks or curriculum already has these created for you, but very rarely do I see teachers actually sending this home at the start of a new unit or a new chapter. And finally, parents have to play a role and make a commitment as well. I can't believe I have to say this, but one, read the correspondence that comes home from your, your teachers because not, it doesn't always happen. If you are unsure as a parent, don't just go to your old method of how you did it. Ask and find out. Pose questions. Send an email to the teacher and say, you know what? This area model thing, I don't know what's happening here. What should I do? Because the worst thing they could do is say, well, you know what? Forget the area model. We're just going to go right to the algorithm and we're going to carry the four and borrow the six and whatever. And that's going to do more harm than good. I don't have to tell you that. Also, allowing the idea of resubmitting uh, assignments, which I think is something that I very much believe in. And also, if someone does not do well in their homework or they struggle with it, that's okay. I would rather have someone take 20 minutes with the homework, realize they can't do it, and send a note in than to try to take an hour, an hour and a half, and become upset and frustrated by the experience. Nope, that's not something I want. And finally, we need to make sure that our parents speak positively about math in front of the child. As I've talked about already, that is so important. So some of the things that Hillary and I pondered together and found out what teachers need from us, and this is what we tried to create, was how do we make communication effective? And then how do we know if parents are reading it and understanding it? And how do we make it so that it's accessible to all parents? So these are questions that we asked, and then we wanted to create resources to support everyone on this. So what I'm going to ask us to do is a little bit of a brief activity here, and this is what we refer to as the notice and wonder, which I'm sure you're all familiar with this here. But what I want you to do is look at these two options here of how this has been written, okay, on the left and at the right. And I want you to take a moment in the chat, tell me something that you either notice or wonder in comparing these two letters. All right, I'm gonna pause for a second and I wanna see what you think in the chat. Okay, so I know I'm giving you a little less time than I probably should. But if you examine these two particular letters here, they're basically saying the same information, okay, as a general welcome to the year. 
However, there is something that is significantly different. And that is the reading level that is written between the two. And let's see what a few people said in the chat. Jill said, I noticed the one on the right is not as scary or intimidating. The letter on the left sounds more positive. Left specific to school topic, right focuses on math as part of everyday life. Okay, excellent, excellent. Good observations by everybody. Thank you for sharing that. Um, the letter on the on the left is wordy and heavy on math terms. So what we try to do is we try sometimes in our correspondence to use a lot of edu-speak, if you will, and sometimes we use some terms that maybe not everybody understands. If you look at the readability level between the two, the one on the left is the equivalent grade level of 11.6, where the one on the right is 5.9. The readability is age 15 on the left using a different uh, correspondence, and the one on the right is age 11. Well, believe it or not, in the United States, almost half of our parents or adults read at a sixth grade or less level. Almost half read at a sixth grade or less level. So if we are presenting the letter on the left there, in addition to being very wordy and a little bit formalized, what we're also doing is we are putting it out of the range of their accessibility. So when you do send home correspondence, one of the first things that you can do is to check the readability level. And there's both an app available for it, as well as Microsoft Word has it, for those of you who use Microsoft Word, to make sure that it's accessible in the language used to all parents. And then, as I used before, the idea of EduSpeak. And this might be a little bit hard to read on your screen. But we need to make sure, or we need to presume, that parents don't understand all of these fancy terms here. And if we do have fancy terms here, we need to make sure that we define it for parents. Because if they don't understand all the education jargon, I doubt they're going to spend the time to actually try to do it, try to understand it. Nope, they're just going to brush it aside. So we need to not only write it at a level that parents can understand, but we also want to kind of get rid of that education jargon that we are so accustomed to using among our peers within education. So what we want is for parents to just understand things the way we teach it to our children. So we want them to be able to see the difference and understand that. And Nicole says, even more important, if many of your parents speak English as a second language, you absolutely nailed it. Because if they are English as a second language, even more so that it's the language barrier that prevents it. So we need to make sure we make those sort of accommodations. So let's teach the parents just like we teach the kids. Let's give them information. And this comes from both our work in adding parents to the equation, as well as the book Partnering with Parents in Elementary School Math. Why don't we just share with parents the way we're going to teach it and we want to teach it so that they know exactly what they're supposed to be doing at home so they can understand it. And if they understand it, 
then it's more likely the children, the kids will understand it as well. So parents want to be informed. And if we come back to those four core wants, they want to feel helpful, intelligent, confident, and familiar. So when you are sending home correspondence related to math or really any subject there, are you hitting some of these things? If you're not making them feel helpful, intelligent, confident, or familiar, maybe we need to change the way that we are corresponding with our families. Because sometimes, no one on here, of course, but sometimes when we send correspondence to them, it doesn't come across as helpful friendly, familiar, and make them feel intelligent. And so sometimes parents are a little bit put off by the math. So when we do send the correspondence, let's make sure it hits on one of those things. And why not focus on strength-based as opposed to deficit-based? So at some points, we're going to have to communicate that their children are not always doing as well as we would hope. That's okay. That's part of the learning process. But if you look at these two examples here, the one on the right, which is deficit-based, is saying, you know, so-and-so is struggling remembering her math facts. Uh, this is impacting their ability to multiply double-digit numbers. Can you have them review their math facts? Well, that comes across in a very negative way. It comes across as you're doing something wrong. You need to work on it. You work with them. Compare that to the one on the left, strength-based. It is the exact same message, but done from a positive place. Uh, So-and-so is doing a great job in her multiplication of basic fact fluency. Here's the specifics. In fact, she's doing great with the zeros, ones, twos, fives, and tens. Ah, we played a game today. Blah, 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 blah. At home tonight, do you think you could play this game here with the kids so that they can focus on their six, sevens, eights, and nines that they may not truly understand? Well, that comes across where they're doing something well and just we want to take it to the next level, focusing on the additional numbers. So the way you phrase something when communicating with parents is often is going to indicate the response that you're going to get. The one on the right, frustration not helpful. The one on the left, oh, strength-based, helpful, and they, you're very clear what you want the parent to do. So within the communication with parents, which is the critical thing, is communicating with them, we want to focus on many things. And we're going to give you some examples here. You want to focus on perseverance, which is absolutely critical, making sense of a task, attending to precision, using tools, constructing mathematical arguments, and becoming a mathematical thinker. And you know what? This comes right from the work of NCTM, and we're talking about the standards for mathematical practice for the most part. Now, how can we communicate some of these things to our families? And Jill says that she loves the way we're rewriting communication this way. Thank you, Jill. I appreciate that. Let me give you an example of some sort of correspondence that you could share with parents that focuses on perseverance. I was so proud that I had a call that I had to call and share with you this moment of success for Padma during math class. 
we were working on a pretty challenging word problem, and initially she got frustrated and needed a break, but then came back and said, I'll try it again. And I was able to show her thinking. She showed true perseverance. How often do we communicate with parents in a positive way to share one of our mathematical habits? Now, I know we're busy and there's a million things going on, especially during this pandemic and, and hybrid remote learning, but communication like this will take you so far and will give you the credibility and the relationship building with parents that we all need. Here's another example about becoming a mathematical thinker. I wanted to tell you that over the course of the past few weeks, Julio has really started to own his place as a mathematician in our classroom. In the beginning of the year, he was shy to, to share his thinking in front of others, but lately he's been saying things like, I'm not sure if I'm correct, but I know that mathematicians make a lot of mistakes before they get the right answer. Oh, well, that's music to my ears. That is music to my ears. And that is something that should absolutely be shared with parents, either by sending them an email or giving them a phone call to let them know what their child is doing. And I see that Aaron wrote in the chat that as a parent, this would be a game changer in our house. And you know what, Aaron, you're absolutely correct. Parents need to hear these sort of things. They need positive reinforcement because you know what? 90 something percent of the time when there's correspondence sent home from a mathematics teacher, it is something negative. It is something that the child is not doing. What about focusing on some of these others? So what are the things that you can do starting tomorrow? These are not things that you need to be able to spending a lot of time and effort to be able to do. Now, in the book, there's a lot more examples and printables and so forth, and there's something uh, that gives you a lot more. But let me just tell you about a few things that you can do right now today. Number one is possibly change, but view parents as partners. They are on equal footing as you, and they want the best for their child. Second is communicate often. One of the biggest complaints that I hear is teachers not communicating enough or only when their things are negatives happening. They're not doing their homework. They didn't do well in a test. Communicate not only about the success, but communicate when things are happening like a new unit. Here's information that you can use, mom, dad, caregiver. Here's things that you can do to support your child. They want it, they need it, and they don't get enough of it. Use parent speak as opposed to edu-speak. These are not trained educators. They don't know a lot of the acronyms and terms that we use. Just like you go to a doctor's office, you don't want them to be using all these crazy terms. Just tell it to me so I understand it. What's wrong with me? Tell me, same thing as a teacher to a parent. Next is using strength-based language. Frame things in a positive. Even if things are not always going well, start off with what is going well. You get a lot more credibility and buy-in when you start things strength-based as opposed to deficit-based. Focus on school-wide consensus. 
what is the overall theme for the school about how we are going to be supporting parents and addressing math education? It should not be something that each grade level has their own philosophy of what's important and what's not important. Work together as a school so that there's consistency within the grade levels, but between the grade levels as well. Next, use formative assessments with parents. Find a way to be able to check in with parents to see what things they know or don't know by using surveys or other things to be able to find out what supports they need. Just like we offer supports to kids, we need to offer supports to parents as well. And even in our COVID times, we can offer math-specific parent events. And I don't mean a general event, and I don't mean a parent-teacher conference, but here's an event so you can learn about how and why we teach the math the way that we do and how and why we are doing the mathematics the way we are and what you can do as a parent to be supportive. And finally, embed mathematics within events non-specific to math. So find a way to embed math in as many different ways as possible. Share supportive games. Some of the games that I love and we talk about within the book, Albert's Insomnia, Mastermind, uh, King Domino is another great one. There are so many great games that have embedded mathematics inside of it. Prime Climb, another one. Oh my gosh. Share those ideas with parents. What are some games that have embedded math that they can learn and do with their children to support the things that we know that they need? Kids love games, right? Why don't we use those? So that's the eight tips. So Maya Angelou, who we quote quite a bit within our book and was the speaker at my college graduation, she said, I did then what I knew best. When I knew better, I did better. And what that means to me is 30 years ago, we taught math the best way we knew how. 20 years ago, we did the best. But as we have learned better strategies and approaches, as we've learned about how students learn and about growth mindset and about conceptual understanding, we have altered and changed it. And the way we're going to teach math five years from now, I don't even know, but I know that we're going to keep evolving. So we have to continue to do better and we have to get parents on board as well as our partner, not as our adversary. So I leave you with the question of what you will do to change this narrative. What things are you willing to take on? I spoke about a lot of different things in a relatively short amount of time, and I would never expect you to be able to do all of these things starting tomorrow. But here's what I do ask of you. Pick one thing that I shared with you tonight, one thing that caught your attention and maybe got you to perk up a little bit and consider trying to do that at some point in the month of February. Do that for me as a favor and consider, if you would not mind, tweeting it out to me. My Twitter handle is at MathWithMatthew. Hillary's Twitter handle is at Dr. Uh, underscore Kreisberg, and we would love to connect with you. Two other things, 
is that we do have a Facebook group for parents. I believe at last check, there was a thousand members on it. I would encourage you to join it. It's called Adding Parents. And then we have a lot of other resources, all for free, available to you to be able to support parents. We have the full books as well, but really our feeling is that we believe this is something that is underutilized and undersupported with the parents. And we want to make an effort, all of us together, to better support our parents to be partners. And with that, I will thank you. And I will take a minute to thank Jill and the whole global math department for having me here this evening. And also ask all of you to send some well wishes to our friend Hillary, who is again homesick with COVID and could not be here. And of course, 35 weeks pregnant. Oh my gosh. But she's on the road to recovery. So we wish her all the best. And if you have any questions, I would love to have it uh, posted, uh, posted in the chat. And with that, I wish you a good evening. And I thank you so much for coming tonight. Thank you so much, Dr. Bayranavan. That was just so informational. I enjoyed every moment of it. Um, I hope you will stick around for a few more minutes. If everybody, anyone has any questions, please post them in the chat. Um, everyone tonight, thank you for joining us. I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. The next webinar will be February 16th. Its title is Disruptive Numbers, a Tool to Teach Mathematics for Social Justice. Um, we are also looking for Global Math Department webinar attendees to share how the um, webinars have impacted your work in your classrooms. Um, the webinar is scheduled for the end of June, and we are looking for maybe four presenters that would be willing to share ideas that they picked up from the webinars um, and actually implemented into their classrooms. So are there any questions there that are showing up? Well, you folks, of course, have, have my contact information um, as well as Hillary's, both email as well as the social media. And we are always interested at, in, in catching up with people, hearing ideas, and see what things that we've shared work well or maybe didn't work so well. Not everything works well. And we um, want to just change that uh, way we approach uh, working with parents because we really believe that they are underutilized, undersupported, and that's a nice way for us to better connect and help all of our students. Thank you. The, um, the link that I put in the chat to everyone is the link if you're interested in participating in that um, webinar at the end of June. Um, are there any questions? Well, when there's no questions, Jill, it's one of two things. It's either a really, <laughs> really good sign or a really, really bad sign. But since I, I have growth mindset, I'm going to say that it's a really, really good sign. I am positive it is good because it, I, like I said, I was thinking I'm a middle school teacher and I thought, oh, K through five, this will be something with parent and everything you said, it's like, oh my gosh, I can do this in middle school too. So very useful, very informational. And I think everybody is going to walk away from this with some ideas. Excellent. 
All right. Well, great. Thank you again for having me, everyone. Thank you so much for your time being here and participating. I know you have a lot of things you could be doing, but you chose to be here uh, with the Global Math Department and with me tonight. And for that, I thank you. So have a good evening. Great. I will also attach the email if anyone knows of speakers who are interested or have recommendations, please email us at globalmathdepartment at gmail.com. We are always searching and looking for presenters. Thank you everyone for joining us. Um, if there are no any questions, I am going to end the webinar. Have a great evening, be safe, and we'll see you in two weeks on February 16th.